The new year is often a time of reflection. A chance to look back on the past 365 days and remember. Sometimes the memories bring a smile, and other times they break our hearts. Chances are you've experienced a bit of both this past year. The new year is also a time to look ahead, to imagine what could be, to scan the horizon with expectation and seek God's guiding hand. It's a time to strive for better, to live louder, love stronger, and be more of who God has created us to be. It's an opportunity for new beginnings, a chance to start fresh, to pursue God with a renewed passion, and to press on with all our hearts. The truth is, God has been faithful this past year, and that faithfulness promises to carry us through the next. As a new year begins, may we remember this one simple truth. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Amen, Encounter family. Give the Lord a hand this morning and praise Him. In fact, I suspect there's going to be some cheering in about, I don't know, so about a little less than an hour from now for some football games. I say we cheer even louder for the Lord right now. Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three, go! Yeah! Praise the Lord. Well, it's good to be with you today, and I am a believer in stating the obvious, and there is a football game today in a little bit less than an hour here. Now, I'm just curious, just curious, how many Kansas City Chief fans out there today, just wondering, all right, a few of you Bengals fans out there, okay, some of you as well, Eagles, Eagle fans out there, okay, and 49er fans, can I, all right, <laughs> I'm just glad I'm in good company today. This is awesome. In fact, uh, this may be the shortest message I've ever given at Encounter. It's, it's the last, I gave it all to the last one, just, just in case. Well, before I jump into the message today, I also just want to give a shout out today. Pastor Mark Riggins is in the house today. We're so thankful for him. So... Thankful to have all of you with us today. He's a former associate pastor of Encounter. We're just blessed to have him here. He was here uh, for Kevin's, Natalie's um, celebration of life yesterday. It was a very special time uh, celebrating a great, great young man. So, well, we are finishing 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church family. And I want to thank each and every one of you who have been a part of this prayer journey that we've been on as we've been lifting up the ministries of our church beginning a new year. And even though the fasting part may be ending, I want to invite you to continue to pray for all that God is doing in and through encounter. Uh, one of the things that can happen sometimes when you have focused prayer, when you have a focused time of fasting for a certain purpose, is you actually begin to live with a greater expectancy of what God is doing all around you. And you begin to see the Lord moving in ways that you hadn't noticed before. It reminds me a little bit of what happened at my mom's 80th birthday. 
not too long ago, we were celebrating with her in Mendocino. That's where she wanted to go for her birthday. This little coastal, cute little town on the coast of Northern California, beautiful little area. But we needed to find a restaurant that would seat 14 people because we had all this extended family there. And there's a lot of little restaurants around there. But we had found this one restaurant. We had made reservations, but we wanted to check it out the day before. And so we showed up late afternoon, but the restaurant was closed. It was part of this little hotel. And we were waiting for it to open, standing out there in the parking lot near our car. And I noticed this SUV next to me. The back was open. This couple was standing there. And I noticed that they had a Yeti cooler. Do you know what a Yeti is? All right. I mean, this is like amazing cooling technology. And I thought, ooh, that's a Yeti. That's pretty cool. They're not inexpensive coolers. And so I went over to him and like, hey, how do you like your Yeti? And he began to tell me about everything about his Yeti. I mean, I'm talking like he told me how long the ice lasted. He began to tell us every bit of food that he had in his Yeti. And before some time passed, he offered us snacks and some beverages. I mean, we were really glad to meet him. And we're sitting there talking while they're waiting for this restaurant to open. They're waiting to, for the restaurant as well. And you know, I said, hey, where are you from? And he told us. And so what do you do for a living? And he's telling us about his life. And he turned around and he says, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. You know, that's always that point for me where I'm waiting for a couple of responses. One is people start doing rewind, like how many times did I swear in the last few minutes or <laughs> things like that, you know. But it didn't even phase him. He goes, oh, how did you become a pastor? And it began this really amazing conversation in this parking lot waiting for this restaurant to open. And before we knew it, my wife Amy and our daughters Katie and Jessica were in this long conversation with his wife right next to the car. And Josh and I are talking to this guy and talking about how great life is and how great God is with this random stranger waiting for a restaurant to open. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up for us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. I want to share with you today about a spiritual discipline that in many ways I think a lot of us really wouldn't consider it to be a spiritual discipline. And what it is is the practice of seizing the moment, making the most of the opportunity, those moments that God loves to serve up by His power and by His grace, and it may in some ways be one of the most important spiritual disciplines out there because it is that place in life where basically faith and action come together. It's that place in life where when you've been studying the Word and you've been talking to God about things, it comes into contact, those activities come into contact with obedience and with application. And I was first introduced to the idea of seizing the moment as being a spiritual discipline from one of my seminary professors at Western Seminary. I'll never forget it. He was talking to us about how when you know Jesus, it changes everything, amen? It does. He said, it even changes how you view the moment right in front of you. 
And it's a great topic for us as we've been talking about this great reset for us as we begin a new season of ministry together as a church family, as we're looking for Christ to guide us and empower us in all of our most important relationships. And so today from God's Word, I want to invite us as a church family to seize the moments that God is going to serve up for us today, this week, and in this coming year with people that are in our life every day, with strangers that we meet in a parking lot waiting for a restaurant to open, with our neighbors and our communities and our friends and our family to seize it for restoring relationships and strengthening relationships. To seize it for times of prayer like we just experienced with 21 days of prayer, life-changing prayer. To seize it for gospel opportunities. To seize it for celebrating and just thanking God and even just enjoying the life that God has blessed us with because the Lord loves to bless us and loves for us to enjoy those blessings. To seize it for understanding who we are in Jesus Christ better. To understand our identity in the Lord. And by the way, we're going to actually start a new message series in just a couple weeks through the New Testament book of Ephesians, much of that book. We're calling it Blueprints, where we're going to look at God's design for us in Christ and what that means and how that changes the way we live. Because God loves serving up for us moments to seize for His glory. God-given divine moments. And it's why from our passage today in 1 Samuel chapter 14, God is calling us to what be what we might call spiritual outliers. An outlier, by definition, is someone who lives a rare, special life compared to the majority of people. And in this case, it's in, it's in, in comparison to people who are living and following the Lord. And all the way through the Bible are stories of people who do that. God speaks to Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. And he's actually speaking forward to the gospel itself, how the Lord is going to come. He says, not only am I going to bless you, but I'm going to bless others through you. And Abraham could have stayed in the security of what he knew, but he chooses to enter into the moment that God dishes up for him. Or God speaks to Moses at various points in his life and he serves up an opportunity. Think of Exodus chapter 14, where God said, hey, Moses... I need you and the Israelites to break camp. And there they are at the Red Sea, and Moses raises his hand, and the Red Sea parts. It was his moment. You can go right on down the list. David with Goliath has his moment. Nehemiah, Rahab, the Apostle Paul. And yet mixed within those moments are other examples. There, there is balance with these stories of others who at times wavered, people who waffled, some who even seem to miss their moments. We think of Esther. Esther had her moment. Here she is, the queen, given this opportunity to be a voice for Israel in a foreign land. And, more, and, and, and really, at first, she wavers. She waffles a little bit until her uncle Mordecai comes to her and says, Esther, this is your moment. And you need to step into it because if you don't, God is going to save his people and someone else is going to step into that moment. And Esther steps into the divine moment that God had served up for her. Or we think of Gideon's life and how the Lord said, go Gideon in the strength you have and deliver Israel. But Gideon waffled rather than seizing his moment. We could even say he fleeced his moment. 
And then he stepped into it because he came to his senses. And then there are people like Jonah. It would seem in some ways that Jonah never got it because God comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I'm going to send you to the Ninevites. You're going to call them to repentance in my name. You're going to call them to salvation in my name. And Jonah runs, just like maybe some of us are running from some of the moments God is serving up. And I don't know what moments God is serving up for you in life right now, but I know scripturally, generally, that we have three responses when he does. We seize them, we waffle in the moment, or even sometimes we run from them. And one of the great illustrations in the Bible of someone who seized the moment that God gave him comes from this young man named Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 14, where we find from his life some commonalities of what it means to seize the divine everyday moments that God gives us to live for him. And it begins with what I'm going to call a sub-discipline of seizing the moment, and that is by being available to the Lord. That's where it starts, where we're just faithful. We say, God, here I am for you. And we're talking about being daily available for the Lord to use. And it's where it always starts. It's a type of faithfulness where you put your life out there for the Lord. You wake up in the morning and hopefully by God's grace you find yourself saying, Okay, Lord, here I am. I'm yours today. I'm available. You made me. Oh, I'm so thankful. You created me. You saved me. You purchased me on the cross. I am yours today. And Jonathan seems to be doing that in this passage. And we read at the end of chapter 13, it begins the whole story for us today. Would you stand? I'm going to read this passage of scripture today. We're going to pray and ask God to lead us from his living word. By the way, if you're a guest with us, we always have the notes on the screen. Also, as you enter, there are these QR codes you can scan right before you come in or on the walls in the back as well. And you can also look them on our website. This is what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 23. Now, a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. Sounds like what I had for breakfast yesterday. And one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outposts on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Jonathan's father is King Saul. So Saul is king over Israel. Jonathan is his son. And Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. Would you pray with me? Father God, we invite you to speak to us with the fresh and life-giving voice of your living word and your Holy Spirit. We ask you to encourage our hearts today so that we can walk out of here available for you and for your glory. We declare our love for you, Jesus, and just give this moment to you. And we thank you for every person who's here, every person listening online. We love you, Lord. And all God's people said, please be seated. So this story begins, or these series of events begin when Saul is king over Israel. He's the first king of Israel. 
And the Philistines are like this ongoing enemy of Israel. They lived on the coastal areas of where Israel was, but they were starting to encroach on the land and taking more and more land away from the Israelites. And wrapped up in this biblical event is a story of a son and a father who couldn't be more different from one another. In fact, we could even say it's less a story of a son and a father and more of a story of an outlier and a non-outlier, of a disciplined person and an undisciplined person. You have one person who sees what's going on with God, and you have another one who's sitting under the shade of a pomegranate tree, living in neutral, having lost the discipline of seizing the moments that God loves to serve up, while the Philistines are terrorizing all the people and terrorizing the neighborhood. And it wasn't always this way for King Saul. He, when he first came onto the scene as king, well, actually, when, when Saul first comes on the scene, he waffles a little bit. In fact, the Bible tells us he was hiding under the baggage in a house. Uh, and they had to find him so they could crown him king. But for a while, or at least a season, he grabbed the moment. He stepped out as Israel's first king and did some amazing things for the Lord. But somewhere along the way in Saul's life, things began to change. And maybe it's similar for some of us sometimes that things begin to change and we begin to waffle a little bit. We begin to lean towards the shade. We begin to lean towards comfort and life is sometimes nice to sit under the shade of the pomegranate tree with 600 of your best soldiers around you. And King Saul misses his moment to seize, and it was his moment to seize because the Philistine thugs are terrorizing the people of Israel, and instead of being faithful and leading them to movement, he leads them to paralysis. And instead of leading them with courage, he leads them with fear. And we all have just so many moments in life. In fact, Scripture is often pointing this out, how God speaks, he reveals himself. He proclaims his truth. He proclaims his presence. He calls us with him. Uh, Deuteronomy 1 is perhaps one of the severest warnings of how sometimes we can miss the moment. You might remember how Israel is, you know, all the Israelites have just left Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they're 14 days into the wilderness journey. And by the way, that's all God intended for them to be in the wilderness, not 40 years, but they're 14 days in. And remember how God comes to Moses and he says, this is your moment, Israel. Here it is. I'm going to lead you into the land, the promised land that I have promised you. And what does Israel do? Well, they do what a lot of churches do sometimes. They form a committee (laughs) and they start to talk about it. And they talk themselves out of what God is leading them to do. And sometimes we can do that as, as a church family. We can have meetings and meetings and meetings. And I'm not, nothing wrong with meetings. You've got to have a certain amount of meetings to get things done. Sometimes. But at some point, God always leads us to action. And when the Israelites missed it, they tried to open the door again, but the door was shut. And for 40 years, that generation wandered around the wilderness until there was a new generation that was willing to listen and to follow and to obey God serves up moments, and by His grace, He invites us to walk in them by being available. And Jonathan wasn't about to waste his moment. He was not going to sit under the shade of a pomegranate tree. He was going to be available to his Lord. And I want to ask us this morning, are we available to God today? Because despite your past, you can be. 
by the grace of God, you can wake up this morning under the mercy of our Savior, brand new, and be available to the Lord for what He wants to do in your life. Are you available to the Lord today and just ready to follow Him and saying, God, here I am. Because seizing the moment may begin with being available, but there's this next sub-discipline, if you will, of seizing the moment, and that is by living with expectation. And I have come to believe that living with expectation is a discipline because we so underestimate the power of our great God. We so undervalue the beauty and the amazing Holy Spirit who loves to guide us and to lead us and the power of the living word and the promises of God. And sometimes we can barrel through life and miss the burning bush right in front of us as the Lord's speaking to us. And it's easy to stop expecting because we hit a wall somewhere in life. And we've all hit walls. Willing to say amen? Amen. Some of our walls are self-made, some of our walls are world-made, but they have the same effect. And it may not be as dramatic as William Carey, who was the first missionary to India and who in many ways laid the foundation for the modern missionary movement, but he's famous for saying this, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And what he is talking about is that we have to train our eyes and our hearts to expect that God is on the move around us. And Jonathan is doing that. In verse 6, we read, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. I feel like he's in you know, a little smack talk there, like it's going to be happening in the football games today. He says, Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. This is a man who expected that God was going to do something. And I know some of you are going, no, 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 Pastor John, you didn't read it carefully, because Jonathan says, perhaps. He's waffling, just like all of us. But I don't actually think he's waffling. I think he's trying to not be over-presumptuous. And he's saying, I don't know what God is going to do. I just know he's going to do something based on the promises that he has given Israel and the land around us. And he's saying, look, we're the people of God and here are these uncircumcised Philistine thugs and they have all the high places right now. We're hiding in the caves. This is not how it's supposed to be according to the promises of God. And he's saying there's something wrong and perhaps I'm not being presumptuous because I don't know what the Lord's going to do. I just know he's going to do something because of his promise. By the way, how big is Jonathan's army that day? One. He's got an armor bearer with him. And he knows that nothing can limit God. Nothing can stop the Lord from acting. He can save by a huge army or he can save by two men. If he can save the world through the cross, he can do anything. And so let me ask you a tough question this morning. Do you wake up with expectancy in the morning and say, I know that God can. Let me ask it again, probably a different way. Do you wake up in the morning, have your cup of coffee, and then say, I know that God can. Because this is Jonathan's discipline, and it's a discipline based on the promises and the character of God that we can depend on every day. 
living with expectation. And so in light of that, notice starting in verse 8, Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over toward them and let them see us, speaking about the Philistines in this outpost. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, if they say come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. And I find this to be one of the most fascinating parts of all these events because Jonathan, in effect, says, though we're outnumbered, we're outmanned, and we're out-equipped, if they come to us on our turf and say, they're going to teach us a lesson, if they tell us to crawl on all fours up that hill so we're defenseless, if they say, hey, stay where you are so that we can roll a boulder into place to roll down the hill on top of you, then we will know that God is at work. Then we will know God is on the move and we will attack. It's amazing faith. I imagine how I would be in the story. I'd like come to my armor bearer and be like, okay, if everything is in place, then we will know God is on the move. Like if we expose our position to them and then they say we surrender, then we will know that God is on the move because we're outmanned, we're outnumbered, and we're out-equipped. If all the money is in the bank, then we will know we're supposed to start that new ministry and reach our community and reach the region and reach the world around us. Or if we're at work one day and our coworker comes into our office and says, hey, could you tell me the basics of the gospel of Jesus Christ and why the Bible is the inspired word of God and what the four spiritual laws are, then I will know I'm supposed to share my faith. But that's not what Jonathan does. Instead, notice there's this final piece of seizing the moment. It's by stepping into the moment that God delivers up for us with him. Verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. And the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. And so Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. I love this. Jonathan sees an open door when everybody else sees barriers. One day, Jesus comes along and he says to Peter, Peter, drop your nets and follow me. It was Peter's moment. And he drops everything that he knew about his life and he begins to follow Jesus. On another day, Peter's in a boat in a storm and Jesus comes to him on the water and he says, Peter, step out of the boat. It is Peter's moment and Peter steps out of the boat. Do you realize Peter never would have learned the joy of walking on water until he stepped out of the boat? Everybody else got to watch. Peter got to do it. Peter got to do it. And of course, part of the point of the story of Peter in the storm is that often when we step out of the boat in that moment, that's when the wind comes. Amen? That's when the waves actually attack us. And there are obstacles and there are curveballs when we step out. Because the one thing the adversary does not want for the people of encounter is for us to be available and for us to live with expectation that God can and to step into the moments that God serves up with joy in the fullness of his presence as we live for him. And so there's always going to be wind and there will always be voices that say this is impossible. There will always be attacks that discourage whether we're taking small steps or big steps. 
And yet God's glory is sometimes found through the most difficult things. Just like his glory is found through the cross. Because out of the ashes he does bring life. And yet sometimes when the wind and the waves are in your face, you can't see it yet. And we might insist upon living in the realm of the predictable, but that's not always where God's victory is. Strangely, victory really is through the cross. It is through the sacrifice. And sometimes the sacrifice is the hardest part. And yet what I love about Jonathan is he he looked up that hill that day from a defenseless position, and he saw his adversary, and it did not unnerve him. One writer put it this way, sometimes you have to swing out on the vine of God's promises to get over the chasms of life. And this story is teaching us that sometimes... We have to step out and go unless we get a no. Because our God makes promises and he keeps them. And so Jonathan steps out on the promises of God. And God does something really reassuring here. Look at verse 13. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. So they're climbing up this hill in a defenseless manner. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. And in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. That's not the end of the story. The next verse, Then panic struck the whole army, and those in the camp and the field, and those in the outposts and the raiding parties, and the ground shook. And just to be clear, it was a panic sent by God. It was a panic sent by God. And I can't help but wonder today if that is the lesson of these events in Scripture where the Lord is saying to us, this is when I shake the ground. This is when I shake the earth. When you step out in my name, when you make yourself available expecting that I can, and you step into the moments that I love to serve up, not by your strength, not by your might, not by your plan but by mine. Even out of your disadvantage, as clearly was the case for Jonathan that day, doing battle uphill, where we give our lives to Christ each day with each moment he serves up, and then God shakes the world around us. And that moment where he first shakes our life, where you first say that big yes to Jesus as Savior, you give your life to him, and then the rest of your life, really, you're just saying, I'm available to you, Lord. I'm expecting you to lead me. And we have this continual life of little yeses that follow that big yes to making him savior in our life where we say, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word. That is when the earth shakes. You know, I can't help but think, what time is it here? It's 11.40, 20 minutes to go, church. (laughs) Time's running out. But I can't think about this young quarterback today, Brock Purdy. You knew I'd talk about the Niners somehow. On social media, he doesn't make a big deal about being a quarterback. He makes a big deal about being a follower of Jesus Christ. There's been a few articles out there where he's said things like, you know, whether I win or lose, my hope when I go on the field is that God gets the glory. 
And here's this young man. He was the 262nd choice in the NFL draft this year, the very last person picked, third-string quarterback. You know, when Garoppolo went out, the second-string quarterback this year, everybody just thought the season was over. And here's this young man, a Christ follower. He's stepping into his moment. People talk about him having this calm. Seven victories in the NFL, zero losses, two playoff wins. No matter what happens today, no one gets to take that away from him. God serves up these moments and invites us to seize them. Where when God serves up these opportunities, we share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and we leave the results up to God. That is the purest definition of sharing our faith that I know. Or maybe today you haven't even gotten to that point where you can be available to the Lord because you haven't said the big yes to Jesus yet. You've known about Him in your life. You've heard other people talk about Him. You know that He's calling you into a life with Him as your Lord and as your Savior. And the way you begin that big yes with Jesus is you have this profound conversation with Him. And this cosmic transaction, yet personal transaction takes place where you say, Jesus, I know you died on that cross for my sin. And I give you my brokenness today and my sin today. And I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask you to come into my life as my Savior because I want to live for you and I want to follow you and I want to be available to you from this life, from this day forward. And as you follow him, you step into the moments that he offers you along the way. And so, Encounter Family, I want to end today with a bit of a challenge. Actually, I think of it more of as an assignment. And one day this week, this is my assignment for you. Wake up in the morning and just make a decision to live in the discipline of being available. And just say, okay, God, today, Today, I am yours. You made me. You saved me. You purchased me on the cross. I am yours today. And I'm going to be listening for your voice. And then live in that next sub-discipline of living with expectation. And trust the Lord to work. And say, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know when. But I know you're going to move. And I know you're going to lead. And maybe it's going to be that nudge to love someone around you in your life or in your house or at work. Maybe it's going to be to serve someone around you. Maybe it's going to be that ongoing whisper of the Spirit to just encourage someone on who Jesus is or encourage someone in your life that's discouraged right now. Maybe it's that decision that you've been waffling about for a really long time. You know the Lord wants you to make it. It's going to change everything about your life. But on this day you're going to say, yes, God, I'm going to follow through with it. And for clarity's sake, I'm not calling you to a reckless faith. I'm not. I'm calling you to live in the fullness of Jesus Christ, and there's nothing reckless about that, ever. And then as you say you're available and you live with the expectation that God really can work, God is going to open a door and step into the moment and let God meet you, because that really is where the earth shakes. And see what God does in you. And see what God does around you. Because we look at this series of events, and when Jonathan did this, the Bible tells us that all of a sudden, all the Israelites got all kinds of courage. 
Because this one young man was available, was living with expectancy that God can, even in the face of the wind, even in the face of the trials, even when the battle feels like it's uphill. He stepped into the moment that God gave. And God shook the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace that allows us to wake up today on a Sunday and be available to you no matter what our past has held. And Lord, we thank you for the grace that invites us to be available even though we sometimes waffle and sometimes we miss it, but to know that we can be fully in your presence today. And so God... We just say, here we are. This is your church. We are your people. These are your cities. This is your world. Here we are. We are available. And we are expecting you to lead. And we are giving you our hearts and lives and saying, we will follow. We will step into that moment as you speak and as you reveal and as you guide us. And Lord, I just lift up your people today. Oh Lord, may they feel the earth shake because of your presence. Because they said yes to you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for today. Amen.